Let's pray. Oh God, our Father, help us in the study of your word to find guidance for our problems, strength for our temptations, power for our tasks, comfort for our sorrows, and your fellowship and our loneliness. When we are restless and distracted, let your word calm our troubled hearts with the peace that passes understanding. In the study of your word, open your hand and satisfy our every need. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Today we will focus on the 32nd Psalm, a psalm often listed as a penitential psalm. Now, penitential psalms express regret or sorrow for sin. They ask for forgiveness. They request help to do better. Or just, for example, consider the opening verses of Psalm 51, the one that David is believed to have written after the prophet Nathan confronted him about his affair with the beautiful but married Bathsheba. And not to mention his sending her, son, her husband Uriah off to die in battle. He said, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. And then later David says, he prays, he pleads, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. Now that's a penitential song. It's penitent, it's sorrowful, it's contrite, it's seeking forgiveness, and it's expressing a readiness to change. But that's not what we find in Psalm 32. Now my old friend Walter Brueggemann says that this psalm is an affirmation about the miracle of God's forgiveness, but it requires none of the discipline or the work of penitence, all, all that's required is unguarded truth-telling. Now, uh, another psalm scholar, Beth Tanner, says that Psalm 32 is really a celebration of the forgiveness and restoration that only God can provide. In this psalm, we don't get penitence. What we get is instruction. In fact, you notice at the top there, it says an, a mascal of David. Mascal is one of those words you don't exactly know what it means but its root word refers to wisdom instruction. So listen now for God's wise instruction for us in the 32nd Psalm. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. While I kept silence, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me, and my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress, the rush of mighty waters shall not reach them. 
You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with glad cries of de deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding whose temper must be curbed with bit and bridle, else it will not stay near you. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord, and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. O oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This 32nd Psalm has been a favorite of people of great faith. The Apostle Paul quotes those first two verses in his discussion of faith in the fourth chapter of Romans. St. Augustine was said to have the words of Psalm 32 written above his bed so that would, they would be among the last things he saw each night and the first thing he saw each morning. No wonder it was Augustine's favorite psalm. This psalm is about confession and forgiveness. If you think about it, Augustine's most famous book, I have mine with me, his most famous book is called Confessions. Confessions. As James Mays has written, confession, confession is the knocking to which the door opens, the seeking that finds, the asking that receives. Confession of sin to God is confession of faith in God. Now, a few weeks ago, we remember we read the Beatitudes. You know those happy are sayings that are also translated blessed are from the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. But do you know which book of the Bible has the most Beatitudes? Well, if you, if you were going to say Psalms, you're right. You're right. Uh, today's psalm starts with two Beatitudes. The first one, happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. And the second, happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity, and in whose spirit there's no deceit. I've been reading a little book by Jeff Bogan, and along the way he said these Beatitudes differ from those earlier in the Psalter in promising happiness, not to the righteous, but to the forgiven sinner. On condition that there's no receipt, deceit, there's no hiding of sin, but full and frank confession. Or as you can read in the book of Proverbs, no one who conceals transgression will prosper, but one who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now the third and through the fifth verses offer a little testimony. 
with the voice of hard experience. When the psalmist had kept silent about his sin, he said his body wasted away, and he was miserable, groaning all day long. He said that God's hand was heavy upon him, and his strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I had a co-worker who, as an older adult, took up running. He also took up another hobby, talking about running all the time. <laughs> One day, I, I noticed that he had a new thing prominently displayed on his desk, a brick. Well, you know, I, I, I just couldn't help but ask, what's with the brick? Well, he explained, his brick weighed about the same as what he saw as the excess weight he was carrying around and was trying to lose. So the brick was to remind him how much excess he carried around needlessly and how much that slowed his running. Well, I think the writer of Psalm 32 and you and I are we're weighed down by more than a brick, so I didn't bring a brick. <laughs> I brought something a little, a little bigger and a little heavier. You want to see how long I know it? <laughs> now, um, we have an anvil. I was going to bring that anvil, but Betty said that would tip over our Prius. Or make us ride low and back, you know, kind of like moonshiners, right? <laughs> so I stayed with a 10-pound weight. Not only was the psalmist weighed down with God's heavy hand on him, he said his strength was dried up by the heat of summer. Now, if you've ever worked out in the hot sun, doing field work, yard work, or Franco would tell us paving work, right? If you've ever had to work in the hot sun, in the summertime especially, you know exactly what the writer of Psalm 32 was talking about, having your strength dried up by the heat of summer. Actually, I thought mine was kind of melted, but the same idea, you know, dissipated, right? But then he acknowledged his sin to God, not holding back, not trying to put even, even just a little spin on it. You know, and all these things where people get up and you see them on court and, and afterwards saying, I'm sorry for what happened. They don't say, I'm sorry I did it. I'm sorry for what happened. Well, no spin. He was forgiven. Now, again, that Beth Tanner says that happiness is completely dependent on God's forgiving grace. And she says the psalmist makes it clear that this is God's action, not human action, not our action. That is, God does the forgiving and God does the covering. Our role is to receive God's grace, grace that we did not and cannot earn, grace we don't deserve. But God's, that's what's amazing about grace. It's God's gift. I once told you of a mother whose child had said terrible, awful things to her in anger and had never apologized. 
never said they were sorry. And this mother asked my advice, and what I told her was, you will forgive your child, not because they apologize, not because they say, I'm sorry, because they won't. You will forgive them, but not because of who they are. You'll forgive them because of who you are. And she did. That is the kind of parent God is. Now, horses and mules, the titles today. Why does David tell us not to be like horses or mules? Well, reading the rest of that verse gives us a Three horse and mule characteristics we're to avoid. One, without understanding. Two, whose temper must be curbed by bit and bridle. Else three, it will not stay near you. First, without, one, without understanding is basically a nice way of saying, don't be stupid. One day, Paul called us on, he was on the way to work, and he called and said, I'm okay, but uh, I need you to come here. I've had, uh, uh, somebody cut me off, and I've had a wreck on Capitol Boulevard. Well, the police came, and, and the, as the driver of the big box truck that had cut into Paul's lane and caused a collision, the driver told the policeman, I seen him coming, but I thought I could make it. I still want to know why I had to pay for those repairs instead of that driver, but that's the way it works. When you can foresee a problem and you know it can be dangerous, don't act without understanding. That's the first one. Now, second, I have never seen a, a human being wearing a bridle and a bit, but you and I both know some people who could uh, kind of benefit from some version of that sometimes, and sometimes it was us. When we're offended, when we let ourselves get angry, we get all self-righteous, get so worked up, we lose perspective and we throw out the Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, and all of that commitment to follow Jesus Christ and his example. When we do that, we too are like horses and mules in need of a bridle and bit or something to curb our temper. Well, the third is the thing is the problem when the horse or the mule will not stay near you. If we don't have something that grounds us, that connects us, that guides us, you and I are prone to wandering off too. Like, well, like, hmm, lost sheep. Or unbridled, untethered horses and mules. So don't be like horses or mules. And remember both the warning and the blessing that close this song. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Thanks be to God. In this season of Lent, may God unsettle us. May God increase in us that nagging feeling that comes from honest awareness of the differences between the life we lead and the life to which God is calling us. Now may the Holy Spirit transform us in newness. May the love of God uphold you, the light of Christ guide you, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit fill you with joy. 
now and forevermore. 